Mann. Oh my god that was oh my god that was like chris was like this is a lot this is a lot if chris said it's a lot because when we it watched was, it i was like chris is gonna come in his pants it was literally like chris's dream come true i was just looking at him like oh my god he must be so happy right now like He's like, like fucking a la carte in a bisexual threesome with anime titties and vampires right? i was like yeah. oh my god this is literally like made the, for chris yeah. Chris like runs into this bedroom, slams the door. He's like, I gotta go. <laughs> yeah, it was Merlin it out. was hot. I was turned on. I was like, damn, this is a hot scene. And it was just like, the- it was like sex, uh, sex uh, versus like the craziest two scenes I've ever seen in my life, and then like another threesome sex scene. It was like the right? craziest like four different scenes, scenes edited it was together. So well done. Yeah, dude, so cool. that that whole thing of bodies that like Chris and I were actually talking about oh, it again yeah. today. I was like, that is one of the most crazy off the wall things I've ever seen, ever. Especially when they all started falling. Oh my god! <laughs> and he was like, <gasps> I was like, no, they're not gonna do it, and they did. And I was like, late gasp. Late gasp. But it was like, I was like, well, they're all free now, so like, yay. Yay! But, <laughs> but now they're all dead. <laughs> but like. I'm like so much for an army for that it was, dude. <laughs> it was good though. I liked this season a lot better than season um, uh, two. I agree. Because season two, the beginning was really cool, and the last two episodes were really cool. But everything in the middle was good, but it was a little bit too much of a lot of backstory for everybody. Yeah. It was just a little too. They needed some diversity in there. Um, yeah. But season three, like every episode was real fun. Like oh my gosh, was, like. And I will have to say one of my favorite scenes I think I've seen period of anything that was like cool was where the dude, the gay guy who's also, oh, thanks, Jordan. Corey says, thank you. (laughs) Where the the scene where the, or what are they called? The demon master guys, whatever they're called. Um, Demon daddies. Yeah, the demon daddies where where he's in the desert and he's like, hey, which one of you can talk the best? I want to talk to you. Like, I remember. Oh, yeah. And so he has that conversation with him in in the desert surrounded by the demons in the background. I was like, this is one of the coolest things I've ever watched. Like, this is. Right. Beautiful. Like, it was was, cool. It was sick. It was, like, intellectually stimulating the conversation they were having. And then it was just visually cool. It was really awesome. I loved it. Okay. Yeah, they did a really good job on this season, especially anime hentai titties. Anime, Those yeah. Hentai oh my god. Good for him. So spoilers, guys. <laughs> so spoilers. Threesome hentai. Yeah, we all watched hentai together. T- together we did. And apart. And we didn't time. know it. We didn't even oh, know. Oh wait. All of us were watching we knew it. it. We knew we were watching. I wa- Yeah, I told you anime titty hentai titties were coming your way. I was like, just get ready, Corey. Oh yeah. Gonna, s- it's gonna be the most intense hentai you've ever seen in your life. I'm so excited. It was exciting. It was beautiful. <laughs> um, well, let's get started. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Hello. 
Welcome to Anyways, How's Your Sex Life? We are your slutty hosts. I'm Channa. I'm Corey. And welcome, y'all. Quarantine welcome. podcast part two. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully <laughs> part two of only like maybe part four or five. <laughs> part 800. God damn. Part 666. <laughs> you know, the saddest part is we won't, we won't even be able to be together for episode 69 or for our 420 episode. I could come down for both of those and do them together. The 420 episodes in I might a be week here for I might be here half. for that. I'm pretty but sure I'm I'll be here. we won't be together that. in person for it. And then the 69th episodes oh, in like a month. That's so true. And the corn the social distancing could still be going on. That's true. What maybe, a shame. Maybe because we're social distancing, we should try and do it high like you said. Oh yeah, the oh 420. That's going to be so be- Bad. I'm just gonna, gonna like. Gonna I'm just gonna go be like, close my thing, <laughs> and laugh. <laughs> be like, no, can't do this. Uh-oh. Yeah. Let's jump Let's into go. my fact fact. Yes, the affogato fact. Okay. Um. So my my affogato fact is part two of the gay BCs. Okay. Um. And I'm just gonna. I actually am gonna finish this time because there's some a good amount of letters that we skip over. And let's just jump into this. So we stopped with uh, J K L. What do we stop with? I think we stopped with I J. Even we stopped with J, um, and then we're skipping K because there's nothing. We're just gonna start with L. So L stands for LGBTQQIA. So now there, I'm saying this because most of us know what LGBT stands for, um, but there uh, the LGB and T and Q and I and A stand for multiple. Sometimes stand for multiple things more than just one thing. So we're gonna go through this. So we have L stands for lesbian in this, and then the G stands for gay gender, neutral gender, or gender queer. Um, B stands for bisexuals or bi genders, or people who identify as bi genders. Um, then we have T uh, stands for transgender, transvestite, and transsexual. We do know that tra- transvestite is a little bit of a problematic word, and I'm actually gonna address that a little bit later because we did address this before. Then Q is for questioning or queer or intersex. And then A, or or sorry, I is for intersex, sorry. And then A is for allies, androgynous, and asexual. Yay. So I didn't know that some of those were for for some of those. Okay, let's move on to uh, M. We're skipping M and going to N. And then N is for non-binary. Non-binary is an umbrella, umbrella term for people whose gender identity doesn't sit comfortably with man or woman. Non-binary identifies our identities are varied and can include people who identify with some aspects of binary identities, while others reject them like entirely. Um, then we're going to go with O. O stands for outing. Uh, this is outing somebody, so this has a negative connotation to it. Um, yeah. Outing is basically publicly telling others that a person is gay or queer um, um, or, or part of the LGBT community. Uh, basically outing them on on their gender identity identity or sexual orientation without the person giving you consent and this is a horrible thing to do <laughs> please yeah. don't do it so don't don't out people you're a fucking asshole yeah you're a fucking asshole okay Corey's already halfway done with this drink holy shit yes i am <laughs> or uh oh yeah just about halfway yeah. <laughs> we're wild. fine so there's like We're'd... there's like four shots in it now nice yes. oh i wish i had vodka to pour on my body right now that so fun. <laughs> um then we're gonna go to p p is for pansexual so pansexual it means it's not limited uh your sexual identity is not limited in sexual choice with regards to biological sex 
gender or gender identities. Uh, we've talked about this before with um, us not understanding pansexual and the difference. And then like personally me, I'll just spoke, speak for me in the past, asking people around and not understanding the difference between bisexual and pansexual. I know there's a difference, but I wanted it to be explained to me before. And then somebody finally explained to me that a, a really good uh, aspect, not the entire aspect of pansexuality um, and the difference between that and bisexualism is that pansexualism doesn't really identify a gender as a as an aspect uh, to whether or not they like somebody. So it identifies that there are more than or sorry, basically pansexuality will identify that there's more than two genders. Um, I, I addressed this in a past conversation that we have in a past faggot fact. Um, I don't remember exactly when, but we don't need to go crazy into it. But yeah, if there are any pansexuals that like listen to this podcast, please send us like your uh, nudes. your nudes <laughs> if you are your 18 nudes. years or older. <laughs> if you're under 18, why are you even listening to it? Please us? don't listen. Go to do homework. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, if you're pansexual, please like ident- uh, please send like a good explanation if you would like to. Um, you don't have to. Um, tell us about like the difference between pansexuality and bisexuality. Um, if you have like a good understanding of that and you'd like to share that, um, let's move on to a queer or to Q spoilers. It's queer. So queer, um, I'm going to read a, a actual definition given to it by stonewall.com or something like that. It said queer is a term used by those wanting to reject specific labels of romantic orientation, sexual orientation and or gender identity. It can also be a way of rejecting the perceived norms of the LGBTQ community. Although some LGBTQ people view the world as a uh, sorry view the word as a slur, so it is recommended that to use the word queer is sort of like you know a minor version of fag. Um, so like here we use the word fag because we like to reappropriate the word fag. I'm not going to call somebody a fag unless they're my friend and we're having you know. Like, I actually really don't call people fags, but like, you know, I will use the word fag around people I know, but in public with other people I don't know in a group, I would not use the word fag or I would ask them, hey, are you okay if we use the word fag? Something like that. Um, But uh, queer should also be safe with. I'm never really safe with the word queer because I really was more like I I think it it identifies a lot with the first sentence of like it is people who want to reject the the term like specific labels of normacy with reference to your identity, your orientation, or just act or, or you know, in orientation. Um, that's what queerdom is. It's to be different and not the norm, not of the norm. Um, also queer holds a very academic aspect to it. Um, so when you, there's like thing called queer cinema or new queer cinema, that's, that's really important to me. Um, so I love using the word queer and I love identifying. I just say, Hey, like we're queer. If you think you're a part of the LGBTQ community, you're queer. And I think I yeah. I like saying the queer community or the community. Yeah, the <laughs> more is than my personal LGBTQIA fave. because I think that queer is I don't know it just has more of a meaning to me than you know a couple of words put or letters put together, um, and yeah. it's also quicker to say. It is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so T is the last one. Actually, we're like we're not going uh, after T because there no are really Z's. no words. Um, no X's, no xylophones. No, X stands for sex, and then Z stands for titties, anime titties, because anime oh, titties. Oh, yes, hentai. <laughs> hentai. Z stands for zentai. <laughs> zentai, which is, you know, the futuristic version of hentai. <laughs> yeah, it's robot hentai. <laughs> robot hentai. <laughs> so T stands for transitioning. Transitioning is the steps a trans person may take to live in the gender with which they identify. 
Each person's transition will involve different things. For some, this involves medical intervention, such as hormone therapy and surgeries, but not all trans people want or are able to have this. That's important. Not all people want or are able to have this. Transitioning also might involve things such as telling friends and family, dressing differently, and changing official documents. The second one I want to talk about is T is for transvestite. So this is a, I'm going to go through an official definition of this and then why this is problematic. Transvestite is an umbrella term which refers to people who wear the clothing of the opposite gender. These individuals can be transgender, transsexual, cross-dressers, drag performers, or individuals who express their gender in a unique way. This term is often thought to be outdated and problematic and also just generally offensive since it was historically used to diagnose medical slash mental health disorders. And so that's tied with the like, uh, I forget what the official acronym is for it, but it's like that booklet of psychiatric disorders. And they would use transvestite to talk about people who were transgender or who are trans who were transsexual. Um, I'm saying were because like that was, you know over 50 60 years ago so i'm just assuming a good amount of them are dead but are transsexual (laughs) um so that's why i was using the past tense um and so that's why it's considered outdated and transvestite so like in uh, rocky horror when he's like says a sweet transvestite like you know it's um probably from transsexual from transsexual yeah (laughs) um like so we just don't i think you just don't use the word transvestite because most people like we have a transgender community that is established nowadays so you'd either say transgender or oh i am a uh i do drag um, I really don't hear yeah. the word cross-dresser or transsexual. I feel like somebody who nowadays would be a quote-unquote cross-dresser is somebody who would just say, I do drag, right? Yeah, I haven't even heard the term cross-dresser in many years. I don't think, yeah, I don't think like, I've heard it even in a, in a social situation. I think I more just I hear it I've in movies. I think I've heard it more, on, yeah, like movies or TV. I think yeah. like maybe too young because like, I'm sure like yeah. my mom's generation is the one that's like We're like no honey like they're fucking drag queens <laughs> <laughs> generation x was like they're fucking drag queens <laughs> that so that's the whole thing with transvestite i was also referring to a, a sort of thing akin to that is when we were talking about oh when do we use like do we use hermaphrodite but no hermaphrodite is not a thing that we use anymore it is considered derogatory you would say intersex yeah, there and I go. we I addressed that in like the past five episodes or something like that. Okay, so that is the gay BCs part two, and now we're done. Yes, Ben. Okay, we're gonna talk about my spooky scoop. I just have to zoom in because I'm blind and I can't wear my glasses Same. with these fucking headphones because almost two years later and I still need to buy new headphones. I just never buy headphones I love for it. the podcast. Last week's faggot fact inspired me for today's spooky scoop because Corey went through like a bunch of movies a bunch of things to get you through social distancing life and or quarantine whatever you're doing right now yes um so today i'm going to be talking about how you know social distancing is really scary a lot of us are feeling a lot of anxiety you know your depression could be you know rising right now could be getting worse so today i just want to go through some social distancing tips from the american psychological association and also some personal tips that i'm just going to add on at at the end of their like you know official tips 
obviously I am not a psychologist, believe it or not, <laughs> but uh, Sad. still, I, I personally struggle with some pretty gnarly anxiety, so I totally understand what a lot of you guys are going through right now. So I just want to give you my two cents on what I've been doing to not throw myself off of a building. I'm getting a lot of this information directly from APA.org, which again is the American Psychological Association. Um, So around the world, public officials are asking people who have contracted or been exposed to the new coronavirus to practice social distancing, quarantine or isolation measures in effort to slow the disease's spread. At this point, I'm sure every person who's listening to this podcast is probably at least practicing social distancing. Um, So spending days or weeks at home with limited resources, stimulation, and social contact can take a toll on the mental health. Though controlled studies on interventions to reduce the psychological risk of quarantine and isolation are lacking, psychologists have established the best practices of handling these challenging circumstances. So here is like a summary of research on social distancing, quarantine, and isolation. And basically, and just how to to help you cope. So what to expect, um, you know, people who are asked to stay at home due to illness, exposure, or active community spread of COVID-19 will likely be cut off from all of their regular routines for at least two weeks. Um, That's the estimated incubation period for the virus. Common sources of stress during the period include a drop in meaningful activities, um, you know, sensory stimuli, and social engagement, financial strain from being unable to work and a lack of access to typical coping strategies such as going to the gym or attending church or going to the mall or even just, you know, going to brunch with your friends. Ugh, brunch. Brunch. Hi, s'mores. I said brunch and she came. She knows. Um, Psychologist research has found that during a period of social distancing, quarantine, or isolation, you may be experiencing fear and anxiety right now. Depression and boredom, (laughs) maybe anger, frustration, or irritability. You know, all the super fun stuff that we love feeling. That quote sounds like they're like, hey, so like in regular life, you never experience that. (laughs) Right? It's like, hey, there's this thing called anxiety. (laughs) Everybody who's who's like a millennial and down's like, yeah, no shit. (laughs) As I have like a knife in my hand, I'm like, (laughs) mascara running down my cheek. What? You say anxiety? So here are the ways to cope. Um, fortunately, psycho, uh, psycho. Oh my god! I the alcohol is starting to hit me. So reading from yes. this boring ass psychological website is getting tough. Fortunately, psychological research also points to ways to manage these difficult conditions. Um, now, before social distancing, quarantine, or isolation. Just every time you say social distancing, just replace it with hentai titties. I'm going to replace it. No, replace it with with Cardi B saying coronavirus. Coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is how you cope. <laughs> um, first things first, limit your news consumption to reliable sources. So it's important to obtain accurate and timely public health information regarding COVID-19 but too much, too much exposure to media coverage of the virus can lead to increased feelings of fear and anxiety. Yes. Um, psychologists recommend balancing time spent on news and social media with other activities un- completely unrelated to the quarantine or isolation, you know, such as reading something, listening to music. Baking. Um, they, they recommend learning a new language <laughs> if you want to, like, <laughs> you know, get woke during this. Because <laughs> that's super available to all of us is to learn a new language. Um <laughs> Trusted organizations, including the CDC, um, the World Health Organization, 
you know, all those all those type of uh, organizations are the people you should be looking or referring to for information of the virus. Pretty much like my two cents on this. Um, the first week of social distancing life, I struggled really, really bad with my anxiety. Um, and I found myself like every day just like constantly on your phone reading articles after articles after articles about what's going on. And it was just I was freaking myself the fuck out because it's so easy to like escalate yourself and start going into like, oh, my God, this is like catastrophic to me. Yeah. And it's so easy just to escalate yourself so you can't calm down. So like when I realized I was starting to get all these like panic attacks, I was like, holy shit, like we're fucked. This, 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 like there's nothing I can do. We're all going to die. Oh, my God. I was like, OK, Chana, like you need to not look at the news. Like you have to actively like turn off, you know, Facebook, Instagram, like turn off the social medias where you're like you you know, are seeing the news. Don't read like your New York Times article, like email every day. Like you have to calm down. Like it, it's important to stay informed. And to stay informed with accurate information. But there's a difference from, you know, staying informed and then completely freaking yourself out. So just be careful. So what I started doing is anytime I started getting overwhelmed with the news, I would just, like, go on my phone and play Uno. Because I downloaded the Uno app. <laughs> and for, like, because each game's only three minutes. So for three whole minutes, like, my mind just shut all the quarantine stuff off. And I was just focusing on Uno. And afterwards, I felt, like, a million times better. Because I was like, oh, like, I literally did not think about the situation right now for three minutes so yeah i recommend you know download a fun app read a book go for a walk pet a cat watch porn do something to not look at the news because <laughs> watch porn the, the news isn't super fun watch hentai the hentai scene in castlevania yeah ma'am okay next from the apa is create and follow a daily routine uh, maintaining a daily routine can help both adults and children preserve a sense of order and purpose in their lives despite the unfamiliarity of isolation and quarantine. Try to include regular daily activities you know, such as work, exercise, learning, um, even if they must be executed remotely. Um, integrate other healthy pastimes as needed. So for me, like the first week, I it was so weird because <laughs> I was so bored and work wasn't really busy for me. And I'm very lucky and I'm very fortunate to have a job because I know a lot of people are losing their jobs right now. Um, but that week was like a very weird week for, for me and Jordan to try to figure out like a new routine. But once we like established a new routine for quarantine life, like that's helped our family and our home like significantly just start getting used to the new norm for us. And right nice. now, at least yeah. for the next couple of weeks, quarantine is the norm that we need to get used to. Yeah. The next one. That's probably like interjection. Like that, that should probably be like, that's probably the key. It's probably establishing a routine. Yeah, just to, and it also just helps you feel a little bit more in control of your day. Yeah. Because like for me, like I need, I'm a, a very controlling person, believe it or not, <laughs> but um, I need to feel like I'm in control of most situations in my life, and so establishing like a new daily routine has helped me like tremendously feel like okay, I got this. Like okay, it's nine a.m. I know what I'm supposed to do right now, or like okay, it's lunchtime. Got to do this. Yeah. And it's also helped with my sleeping schedule because it's very easy to not sleep right now. The next one is maintain a healthy lifestyle. So make sure you're getting enough sleep. No. Eat, you know, the best you possibly can. Exercise if you're able to. Try to avoid using alcohol or drugs. I'll take a drink of that. <laughs> we got like super um, high last night and watched Kill Bill. <laughs> ooh, fun. It was fun. So this tip I like 90% agree with. I agree with getting enough sleep because that's obviously very important so you can just so your brain can function. 
eat remember to eat because like the first two weeks i barely ate because i like forgot that food existed because i was so anxious oh my god that's eat. all i was doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, opposite because i was so anxious i was like i i forgot about food for like two days and i was like oh yeah i should eat something um most importantly to me is drink water like drink water and sleep mm-hmm. make sure you're eating if you ex- I said this last week, like I'm really not digging how everyone's like exercise do your squats right now. Like now's your time. I don't think that's fair to say to people because I think it makes a lot of people feel really shitty because there are, you know, some days where you just can't do it. Like you're so mentally exhausted and like what we're all going through right now is so bizarre. Like you might not be up to, you know, doing squats today and that's totally fine. Just, you know, make sure you're drinking water, make sure you're eating, make sure you're sleeping, just keeping yourself you know, as alive as you can right now, because it's a very weird time for all of us. The last thing is just use, you know, psychological strategies to manage stress and stay positive. Medi- you know, meditation is a great thing you can get into. You mm-hmm. can like go on YouTube and just type mm-hmm. in meditating and like a billion videos are there for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> people are getting into yoga and stuff like people like do what you pretty much have to do to manage stress and be OK. Um, the one thing I want to talk about that's very important to me is I understand how right now is can be very, very, very difficult for some people. Some people are, you know, kicking it in quarantine life. They're like, what if this is fine? But for some people, this is very difficult on their mental health. And I totally understand that. I'm, I'm with you, sister. Like, this is rough. Um, but there are hotlines that you can call if you need help, if you need to talk to anybody. Um, the, National Su- the National Suicide Hotline phone number is 1-800-273-8255. You can also go to their website, suicidepreventionlife.org, and you can chat with them directly through the website. Um, Domestic abuse is unfortunately going up because people are stuck in their homes. Um, So if you find yourself in a situation where you need help, you can go ahead and call this number, which is 1-800-799-7233. That's the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Or you can go to their website, which is thehotline.org, and you can chat with them through the website. Um, and there's also the disaster distress hotline. You can call them at 1-800-985-5990 or text talk with us to um, 66746 to connect with a trained crisis counselor. So there's a lot of resources online that you can go to to get that extra help if you need it. You can always reach out to friends and family. You can reach out to us. Just know like you're not going through this alone right now. This is a wild time and just do what you what you can to to be healthy and <laughs> drink your water wash yes. your face do, do you boo and we'll get through this together and we'll be stronger at the end of it and all of us will have al- have alcohol problems and it's now fine. i'm stronger than yesterday fuck you coronavirus go away my loneliness <laughs> is saving lives all the time coronavirus <laughs> I, I, coronavirus. Coronavirus. <laughs> That's it. That's my spooky scoop. Nice. So my supernatural segment today is on the possession of Michael Taylor. Uh, Michael Taylor was a loving husband to Christine Taylor and a patient father Christine. of five children and a poodle. Um, so Michael Taylor, over the course of a few months, descended into a erratic and sexual madness that would eventually end in murder. Ooh, murder. <laughs> So what happened to Mr. Taylor? Are his claims of possession true? And is he still possessed today? Well, bitch, I'm going to tell you about it. So in the small British town of Osset um, in 1974, the the Taylor family were living a normal, small town British life. 
Everything about Michael was ordinary, and neighbors noted the family to be kind, helpful, and then Michael, most of all, was easygoing. The only note about Michael that seemed out of ordinary is that he was sometimes prone to minor bouts of depression. They, he, like, they mostly attested this to his back injuries that he had. Um, so he had a back injury when he was um, little, and this turned into him like having chronic pain throughout his entire life. And this also like affected his ability to uh, maintain employment and to find like employment. So they feel like this whole cycle of like finding a good a good job, doing well, and then having to quit because of back pain sort of just like put him in a spiral or like this cycle of depression and stuff like that. Now, Osset, yeah, right. So the town of Osset was a heavily Christian town. And the only other peculiar note about the family is that while the Taylors were also Christian, like most of the people in this town, they would often skip their weekly services when most people didn't. So there's a lot of gossip parties surrounding the, the family and there were problems surrounding that. Oh God. Is this like a Mormon church? I know, right? <laughs> like anytime I like wouldn't, like anytime my high heel was like one inch too tall, everyone's like, turn to the fucking stripper. They're like, so They're are like, you masturbating? How much are you masturbating? Tell me what you do when you masturbate. And you're like, what the fuck? motherfucking street hussy i'm like yes sister smith i am a street hussy i'm 12 years old i'm a street hussy um so they were so this prompted a local by the name of barbara wardman to take it upon herself to say to quote unquote save the children of the family and encourage michael and christine um to join church group known as the christian fellowship group so this group happened to be led by a 21-year-old pastor by the name of Maria Robinson. And yes, she does identify as female. Um, so Michael, who had never been religious in his life, suddenly began attending all of the regular meetings and became a very active member in the congregation. Yeah, they were fucking. And began, <laughs> yeah, and began helping Marie, Marie Robinson in his spare time. He would even join Marie Robinson in congregations where they would use the power of God to exercise people of their sins and speak in tongues. Um, they also began to like take take place in these private rituals, where, where like basically Michael uh, said that he and uh, Miss Robinson would stay up all night and they would make signs of the cross at each other to ward off what they believed was the evil power of the full moon. That, that actually sounds like our, our typical Friday night. <laughs> that sounds like something we would 100% do. <laughs> we, In this social distancing time, Chan and I just Zoom each other and we just like make crosses <laughs> at each other in the pitch darkness. <laughs> yeah, and then Tyler is there on Kyle's porch blasting spells off oh yes yes just doing warding spells yes yeah (laughs) this totally sounds like this (laughs) so obviously this time of i don't like whatever that's the most elaborate excuse for like having a side chick yeah like for fucking ever um so soon they uh, this grew obviously into unappropriate amount of time he that he would frequently also avoid his duties as a father and a husband um, I wonder why. As he'd be off with Marie. Um, Fucking. Yeah. So again, Marie Robinson is the pastor um, or the leader of this Christian group. When he was at Side home, check. the short time that he was at home, he would be very short tempered with his kids and cruel towards them. Also his wife. Um, the family even noted that the more that he hung out with Marie Robinson, the more strange, erratic, sorry, the more strange and erratic he'd become in his just like demeanor. And then also the more devoted that in like crazily devoted he became towards Marie. 
Um, yeah. He, he was abandoning his family, family. He was scaring and abusing his kids. And he was being unfaithful to Christine. So this went on a few months and Christine couldn't hold it in any longer. So literally like what i like want like i want to write a movie about this so literally this like one day during the like congregation of these of the christian fellowship group christine's just sitting there and she's like okay i'm gonna fucking do it and she literally stands up in the middle of the meeting and she points at uh what's her name marie robinson and points at michael and says i can't hold it in any longer she's basically just like they are fucking they are fucking fucking and yes! he is being unfaithful to me and he is being mean towards me and my children. And this needs to stop. What happens? Yes, in re- she literally stands up in front of a congregation of like 20 to 50 people and says this. So Michael is reported to have, quote, felt an evil influence cast a shadow over him. And then he was compelled by this force to unleash a su- sudden flurry on not Christine, not the wife, but on Miss Robinson. He lashed out at her verbally and physically abusing her to the point that several other churchgoers in the congregation had to physically get up and restrain him before he Holy like shit. beat her. Literally, literally. Um, so this is what Christine, the the pastor, oh sorry, the wife, said about the uh, this event. This is like from her words. She said, "I suddenly glanced at Mike, and his whole features changed. He looked like almost bestial. He kept looking at me, and there was a really wild look in his eyes." I started to scream at him out of fear. I started speaking in tongues. My, Mike also screamed at me in tongues. I was on the verge of death, and it seemed to me, it, it seemed to come to my senses. I knew that only the name of Jesus, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, Lord, protect me, <laughs> would save me. And I just started. I thought it said sharded, saying over and <laughs> over again, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, Lord, coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> when when Chris Chris when Chris Dean heard me calling on the name of Jesus, she started saying it too, and I believed firmly that it was the only that was only by calling his name that I was not killed. Sorry, we're making fun of this woman who has real feelings. <laughs> so Michael claims to have no memory of this incident. So the following day, Michael sure Michael <laughs> right. The following day, Michael was publicly forgiven by the congregation and Christine, and every but everyone began like keeping a super close eye on like fucking Michael. They're like, okay, this is a small town. We're all fucking Christian. Like we're looking at that bitch. <laughs> we're looking at that weird motherfucker <laughs> over there that just like be his wife in front of us. <laughs> Literally. So sadly, everybody realizes that this was not a one episode thing, and that Michael did not Aww. get better. He got worse. He is. Oh. T- he started to get more erratic, more abusive, more short-tempered, and kept getting more and more infatuated with um, Marie. I think her name is oh, Marie. God, I can't. Mar- Robinson. Yeah, Marie Robinson. Um, so this eventually got so intense and so like important or significant that multiple tor- church leaders, or to better say, more leaders of churches in town, got together and were like, "Okay, we probably need to." They're like, we probably need to exercise him because we 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 think that the only logical explanation is that he's possessed by a demon. Yeah, that's like one hundred. That's it. it Mental is. health doesn't matter at all. It's all about demons. Yeah, he's not like a piece of shit, guys. He's just yeah. a demon inside of him. Uh uh-uh. So on October fifth of nineteen seventy four, at the Saint Thames Church in Barnes Barnsley, just fifteen minutes <laughs> outside. Did you just say Saint Taint? Saint. Th- 
Oh my god, if there is a church called Saint Taint. I am I'm a I'm, member. I am I'm Christian again. I am born I'm again. A goddamn pope. I am Jesus <laughs> Jesus lead me to Saint Taint's church. You are Jesus on the cross for Oh Saint my god, Taint we should Corey. like cr- construct a fucking church and name it Saint Taint and then make Taint Stick. <laughs> yes! <laughs> that's where it's we could like that's where idea. we could launch our Taint Stick. We Trademarked. Be, Trademark, you bitches. We, yeah, it's already tra- it's trademarked in my head. But uh yeah, we can name our taint stick factories Saint Taints. Oh my god, Saint Taints. Oh my god. Yes. That could be our could LLC. Be like- our LLC could be Saint Taints. Saint Taint. <gasps> oh my god, I literally I might it. buy that LLC. <laughs> Saint if Saint Taints is bought out, I want to find that person and marry them. <laughs> So we're at St. Taint in Barnsley, just 15 minutes outside of Osset, which is the town where the family's from. Uh, so two ministers by the name of Father Peter Vicent and, pa- and Reverend Raymond Smith led the exorcism of Michael Taylor in front of a yes. congregation of the Christian Fellowship Group. So literally oh God, everyone's I I there. I picture Chan and I are just in the crowd dressed up as the conjuring, like the nun. Yes. We're just dressed up as the nun, just like popping popcorn like Michael Jackson in the in the fucking thriller (laughs) um so as soon as the exorcism started michael went into an uncontrollable convulsions and fits and bouts of scratching spitting biting you know squirting you know breeding all that shit requiring him to be forcibly scatting requiring him to be forcibly tied to the floor over the next eight hours michael had crucifixes crucifixes shoved into his mouth and was doused with holy water, basically to the point of waterboarding. The whole time, he was growling and snapping at anyone who came near him. So the well, yeah, pr- right, <laughs> duh. <laughs> the priest in charge of the exorcism basically claimed that there were about forty uh, demons inside of him, inside of Michael's body. Jesus. Um, they said they represented traits such as incest, <laughs> bestiality, <laughs> why, <laughs> bestiality, blasphemy. Let's- lewdness ooh, the demon of lewdness (laughs) that poor demon demon. that poor ass demon demon. in 2020 like oh my god (laughs) yeah yeah fuck you demon of lewdness you bitch i am the motherfucking we are the demons of saint taint i'm yeah like (laughs) you're the demons of saint taint you fucking bitch ass lewdness demon bitch ass lewdness What's next? Like, oh, I'm the demon of erotic jokes. I'm like, the demon. That? <laughs> I'm the demon of side boob. <laughs> like, what the side fuck? Side boob. <laughs> Lewdness. <laughs> oh, that poor demon's probably so sad right now. <laughs> We're so getting possessed. By I just demon think of, of like Elmer Fudd. I think of Elmer Fudd. He's like, oh, why me? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking yeah, demon. Yeah, no, we're so. We're so getting possessed, like, in five minutes. <laughs> but, I mean, like, could, would anyone be able to tell if we even were possessed by the demon? <laughs> by the demon I don't think lewdness. so. It's just the same, same, but different. Valak's like, that's my fucking, that's my fucking territory. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm probably getting, like, bukkakied right now by, like, the demons of lewdness. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, The demon of heresy, the demon of mac- ma- masochism, again. <laughs> Okay, this sounds like a weird-ass, like, ooh, gay party. Ooh, get, I actually <laughs> want to be this demon. The demon of carnal knowledge. Oh, Teddy. <laughs> I put on my demon pasties are now on. Fuck yeah. 
somebody somebody in this time of of coronavirus please draw what you visually think is the corona uh, the demon of carnal knowledge and please send us mm. a picture of that you um, know i'm just gonna send you the picture of those hentai titties from <laughs> <laughs> from uh Castlevania. oh my god <laughs> Those are um, what my pasties look like. My pasties are hentai ditties. It was pretty hot. I was very turned on by the whole scene. Um, okay. Then finally, in the morning of October 6th, October 6th, because this went from the night of October 5th to 6th, the priests mm-hmm. carrying out the exorcism could no longer continue through their exhaustion. So, uh. strangely, it was like decided between the these leaders and also the congregation that the exorcism would have to be finished like later. <laughs> Um, everyone was basically like really fucking tired and they were like, okay, cool. Like we'll reconvene tomorrow on the eighth or, or sorry, like, on, on the seventh. They're like, let's just put like a pin in this. They're like, yeah, we're quick. like, we've been like really entertained, but we're really tired. So like, let's just like start tomorrow. And they're like, okay, cool. So the priest before leaving exclaimed that there were three demons that were still inside the body of Michael Taylor. Those of Ooh, insanity. No yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Insanity, anger, and murder. Yes! (laughs) Yes! So, however, when everyone agreed to this, a minister's wife by the name of Margaret Smith, maybe related to Joseph Smith, we don't know. You were like gasping, and I was like, Actually, oh my God, where is Jordan? Who is the mom of of Joseph Smith? Her name might be Maggie Smith or Margaret Smith. Hey, Jordan. What's Joseph Smith's mom's name? Is it Maggie Smith? Is it Maggie or Margaret Smith? Yeah, he says something like that. Yeah, I think <gasps> it's yeah, Maggie crossover. Smith. Crossover. Yeah, oh Holy my God. Shit, so Joseph this Smith's is... mom. <laughs> Good old Joseph Smith's mom. <laughs> she Was came there? back from the dead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That um, explains Mormonism. That is <laughs> literally as believable as the rest of Mormonism. <laughs> Like that could be Mormon lore, and I'd be like, she's okay, she's the demon of lewdness. Lewdness. <laughs> she's the the demon of Mormonism. <laughs> oh my God, he's literally getting possessed. I'm right possessed. Now. Kill me. Okay, so she claimed. She later claimed that she had received a warning in her mind from what she believed to be God, saying that a demon of murder was going to escape from Michael and kill Christine. Ooh. She pleaded with the two priests to basically complete the exorcism right there, but they dismissed her and were like, "Bitch, like go home. We're all tired." Um, so they were like, "Okay, cool. We'll all revene at this place, you know, tomorrow morning on on the seventh. Okay, but." Or tomorrow night on the 7th. But around 9.45 on the morning of October 7th, the police patrol... So they literally sent everybody home. They sent Michael home. Everybody just went back to their normal lives for a day. They're like... (laughs) Like literally. BRB. BRB. Literally. BRB (laughs) to this exorcism. (laughs) TTYL. We'll do this tomorrow. (laughs) Everyone just like social distancing until the next day. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, for 20, 12 hours social distancing set. Right. Um, so around 9.45 on the morning of October 7th, the police patrol, patrol car sorry, came upon a horrible sight. Coming around the corner, Officer Ian Walker, which is a hot name, 
was confronted by this. So I just picture like the most butch, like bearded, hot ass man in fucking aviators that just has a bulging cock. Just like, oh. So, anyway. I really hope that's what he looked like. <laughs> I really hope we're But he's face. British. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh my <laughs> God. Story? Side story. So, so. <laughs> So Chris and I have been watching um, the Bond movies just to, you know, just like catch up and stuff like that. We haven't, well, not the Daniel Craig ones. We were watching all of the Bond movies and we recently That's went fun. through the Pierce Brosnan ones because they're free on Netflix right now. Um, so oh, we okay. watched Die Another Day with Halle Berry. That's the last, that you haven't Bond seen that one? one? So that was one I was I, just I, old enough to finally see in theaters because I was like 11 when it came out. So let me rephrase that. My grandpa's like, the world's biggest james bond fan oh that's so really cute. cute so like my whole life i grew up watching james bond but i was like just young enough where i don't really remember what happened in the movies oh yeah but whenever I, get that. I start watching the movies i'm like oh yeah this is like my childhood yes. <laughs> like i've already seen all of this that's what we did for yeah. like half of the movies yeah um that's so fun so we just watched all the pierce brosnan ones and in die another day the main that antagonist is this guy uh this uh like redhead british dude that's this haughty rich like british dude and he's just like fucking hot anyways we'll get back to and so like we realized this chris and i were talking about this scene where it's like the first 20 in the first like 30 minutes there's this scene where he or bond pierce brosnan uh does a fencing match with this hot dude and while he does this madonna is in the actual yeah. movie because she does the theme song "Die Another Day." Um, it's a horrible wow. theme song, but it's it's sort of a fun song, but it's a horrible Bond theme song. Uh, the whole entire time, I was like, "Oh my god, I know this exact entire scene," but I had no idea that this was in "Die Another." This was a Bond like scene because the only time I've seen this movie is when I was eleven and went and saw it in theaters with my family because it was the first time I saw a Bond film. I was able to see Aww. a Bond film. And I was like, so like literally 18 years later, I'm sitting here like, oh my God, I know every moment of this scene. Why do I know every moment of this scene versus most of this movie? And yeah. the entire time we were watching it and it was like, one, Madonna's in this film. Two, the, this is the introduction to this hot ass British dude. And they like get <laughs> wet. They take off their clothes a little bit and they're sword fighting. And it is like the most homoerotic scene I have seen in a Bond film excluding the Daniel Craig films because there, you know, a lot of it's homoerotic on purpose, but I was like, Oh my God, this was like one of my sexual awakenings oh my <laughs> growing God. up. That's a, sorry. Thanks, so thanks bond. So thanks. Thanks. Die another my day. Was like, How dare you? What do you mean? James bond is oh my God. Sean Connery's like naked half of the films he's in. He, he has a shirt off like half of the films he's in. Um, Damn. so time, I've just been looking at, um, James Bond picks. Oh yeah. Like Pierce Brosnan. Oh, he's so he's so hot. He he's, he's cute. He's so hot in Mamma Mia because you know he's like he's like aged like a fine wine. Well, so like- yeah, so uh, Chris agrees with you, but I I don't know. He he gets too wrinkly and leathery. I don't like it. I like him in the Bond films, but Die Another Day he has a little bit too much wrinkle leathery that I don't really like it. I mean, he's definitely a, a beautiful hot man. Like, no no argument there. But for, like, yeah. celebrity level of hot and, like, to be judging harshly, it's not really my, like, cup of tea. He's just a pretty, pretty silver fox. Thanks, James Bond. But he is. Very agreed. Agreed. Um, where the fuck are we? Oh, okay. Ian Wait. Walker. <laughs> the <laughs> officer. So, 
at around nine again nine forty five a.m. October seventh, coming around the corner, Officer Ian Walker, Dick out, coming, was confronted <laughs> by the sight or sorry in a cop car was confronted by the sight of a man stumbling around in the middle of the street, naked. And then a porn starts. I know, right? Naked and covered in head to toe, and covered in head to toe in blood. His body are stopping the car and approaching the man. Walker saw the man curl up into the fetal position and heard him ranting and screaming over and over again. It is the blood of Satan. It is the blood of Satan. It is the blood of Satan. Officer Walker called for an ambulance, fearing that the man had hurt himself or someone else and tried to calm the man down. But he still kept on screaming and senselessly ranting on about Satan. He continued oh screaming as the ambulance uh, from the local hospital arrived and placed him into the car. Obviously, a crowd had gathered around this scene. And Duh. Pe- Me and Corey are right there. I know. We're right the there, and we're like, uh. Yeah, we're like, I'm we're like, like hell skelter. Like- <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> we're like fucking like arching our backs and like hell to scalp. We're, we're taking nudes in front of the scene. <laughs> we're taking selfies that don't even exist yet. Yeah, selfie nudes. With like duck lips. <laughs> what year is oh this? this 74, is 1974. <laughs> In my head, this is like the 1800s. <laughs> 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 so I was like, how police wagon Ooh. <laughs> no it's 1974 <laughs> in a small english right, yeah. town so we're totally taking selfies oh my god we're ass. taking selfies with like a fucking i don't know whatever, whatever fucking camera existed, camera existed there there's little handheld cameras that you can get that are like instant polaroids you can get them yeah we're taking um, Polaroid nudes in front of this demon blood bath scene. <laughs> for sure. We have a, we have a, is it a Leica? Is that what they're called? Yeah, we have a, like a Leica camera that we're taking fucking pictures with. <laughs> yes. Um, they're, they're now on my Polaroid wall, my living room. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if we were time travelers, that's all we would do. We would go to like horrific scenes of violence and just take <laughs> duck lip oh, selfies. 100%. That's exactly what we would do. That's like. <laughs> almost not a joke and then everyone's like why don't you try and like help people out and save people and we're like have you fucking seen any time traveling <laughs> movie <Yeah>. ever <laughs> we just are gonna show up take a selfie that and only like, causes but... like a billion more problems <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyways so like, <laughs> oh yeah uh, back to the crowd with like chan and i taking duck lip duck lip selfies in it <laughs> um so a cow had gathered gathered around this this scene of course and some were even more horrified than you can believe at this, this, um, uh, what they're seeing. <laughs> I'm horribly trans, like transitioning into this because what they were with, uh, because <laughs> you killed this. Our side, our side stories killed this. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just there we go. I'm keeping this all in. And how this is. This is like a walk in the park for us. So these people, people. <laughs> <laughs> these people were even more horrified at what they were witnessing because they knew that this wasn't a normal murder because they knew that this wasn't a normal man. This man who they once knew as a carefree, kind and gentle ma- husband and man was now a blood craze, possessed murder. This man was Michael Taylor. I tried to set that up really nicely, bro. but we like went on a total side tangent. <laughs> So they told the police that the deranged maniac was Michael Taylor and then gave him his gave officer uh, Ian McKellen or whatever hot. his name is his fucking yeah, address. Hot penis. Yeah. 
<laughs> just figured the most Tan Finland, if you don't know who that is, look that up. The most Tan Finland butch, just like bulging his pants guy in aviators. <laughs> Him. So upon arriving at the Taylor residence, Officer Walker was surprised to find a patrol car uh, at, already at the house. His heart dropped when he saw that the inspector ran out of the house when he pr- arrived there and vomits on the on the grass. The inspector oh is like, hey, dude, like, it, there's blood everywhere. Don't fucking go in there. This is the craziest shit I've seen. But reluctantly, Walker had to step into the Taylor house, and he did. This is an actual account of what he saw. He said the interior of the front room was destroyed with signs of destruction apparent. The blood covered every surface of the room along with flesh, pulp, and brain matter. And on the floor of the living room lay the body, the bodies of Christine Taylor. And then warning, 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 uh, uh, animal abuse. No, the poodle. The family Why? pet dog, the poodle. Fuck the demon of lewdness. <laughs> this is stupid now. <laughs> they were almost unrecognizable. End quote. No. So fuck Michael Taylor. You in the attack bitch. that Michael had had done. He had stripped off and strangled Christine literally, literally, like not figuratively, but literally tearing her face off. There was all there was no murder weapon involved as he had physically with his hands gouged her eyes out and then (gasps) ripped her tongue out with his bare hands, tearing (gasps) the rest of her face down to the bone so much that was she was left unrecognizable. That's not no exaggeration. While Christine was dying, this is real, guys. Like, ignore the fucking exorcism. This is real. While Christine was dying of shock and asphyxiation on her own blood, Michael then turned his attention to the dog, again warning, strangled it, and then literally ripped it limb from limb. Okay, and there's more, but I don't want to go into it because it's about a dog. Um, I want to murder this guy. Yeah, he then left the house oh. screaming, and that was and that's when he was found 15 minutes later by Pete, by um uh ian mckellen <laughs> sir ian mckellen <laughs> sir ian gandalf was there ian walker whatever his fucking name is <laughs> no, gandalf was, was like buy you fool and fucking just like yeah. lightning lightning bolt the fuck out of him <laughs> okay. gladriel's there too <laughs> gladriel's like i'm fucking hot and just just like <laughs> looks at him and he explodes <laughs> Um, so the aftermath, sorry, this is chapter five for me. The aftermath. That's my like behind the scenes chapter. Yeah. Right. Michael was taken into police custody and then was interviewed when he was deemed coherent and sane and told detective inspector, Mike detective inspector. Jesus. That's a lot of titles. Brian Smith. Oh, Brian Smith. What a fucking white ass normal name. (laughs) Hey, but he's detective. But inspector. he's a detective inspector, so fuck yeah. Um, about the exorcism that had occurred only hours before. So this is what he said. This is an actual quote of fucking Michael. He said, "I it was a long night. They danced around me and burned my cross because that was tainted with the evil." <laughs> this just sounds like your first gay experience. They had me in the church all night. Look at my oh. hands. I was banging oh. on the floor. <laughs> the power was in me oh my god i couldn't i couldn't get rid of it and neither could they they were they were too late i was compelled by a force within me to destroy everything living within the house it was a penis (laughs) it was a penis (laughs) that's what he said 
Although Michael claimed that he couldn't remember anything that had happened, uh, like after, like when he, uh, basically when he committed the murder, um, when Smith asked how he felt, Michael replied, released. I am released. It is done. The evil has Ew. been destroyed. The evil in her has been destroyed. Oh my God. Oh my God. Psychopath. Yeah. So long story short, Michael Taylor was charged with the murder of Christine Taylor and, then was put up in the Broadman, the Broadmoor Hospital in Berkshire, and where he waited his trial. Michael's uh, Taylor's trial for the murder of his wife Christine began on March 1975. Upon so when they commenced the trial, the the head prosecutor or whatever looked at the jury, and this is what he said. He said, with reference to the evidence that they were about to pre- be presented with, he said. It will make it difficult to believe that you are not back in the Middle Ages. <laughs> so he's Whoa. like, hey, the the defense is about to give you all this evidence that's going on, and we're about to give you some evidence, and it's going to make it difficult to believe that you are not back in the Middle Ages. So long story short, again, the jury found Michael Taylor not guilty of the murder of his wife by reason of his insanity. They deemed him to be both clinically and legally insane, and he was sent to the Broadmoor Secure Hospital, where he would remain for two years, followed by another two-year sentence at Bradford Royal Inf- uh, the Bradford Royal Infirmary, Infirmary. Sorry, too drunk. Before being released back into the world, so he literally only served two, oh like my. four years, in a detention center for this. Yeah, um, you have people who like have a joint on them, and they're in jail. For, like, boys will be boys, life. Jenna. Boys will be motherfucking taint stick boys. <laughs> yeah. The demon of list is this. like yes. <laughs> He'll be the demon of lewdness. (laughs) Demons will be demons. Demons will be demons. After his release from from the hospital, it is reported that Michael Taylor went back to live in Osset. Michael would continue to display odd behavior and suffer bouts of depression. He's also known for making four suicide attempts from this time of his release until 2005. And we'll get to that in a second. Where he cut his wrist, jumped from a bridge, which he badly injured his back and legs when he did, but he survived each time. Then finally, in July 2005, Taylor was found guilty of in, of like indecently touching a teenager and was sentenced to jail again. Ew. Um, like because he's a fucking asshole. While he was in jail for over like a couple of years, I don't know how many years, sorry, he attempted suicide about four on four separate occasions, which then brought him to trial again to see if he was uh, crazy or not. Because at the same time, he started like exhibiting the same sporadic, crazy um, mannerisms that he did before. Um, and so they finally decided, a court decided that he was to be ordered into psychiatric treatment. And I believe that he's somewhere in the UK um, in a psychiatric hospital. Currently, right now. Currently, right now. He might be dead. Um, I tried to check it up, but for some reason, it was really hard because all if you if you search, you know, Michael Taylor, and everyone just wants to talk about this event, and even Wikipedia doesn't really say what happened to him. They just say that the last thing is that he was ordered into psychiatric treatment. That's pretty much it. Okay, my question is, where the fuck was like the pastor lady Marie? during all of this right maybe she was the demon of lewdness and she was behind this the entire fucking time yes <laughs> yes so maybe she wins snap 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 well i fucking hate the demon lewdness because it hurt a dog yeah so. right fuck the demon of lewdness what did the dog do just be a cute ass poodle <laughs> turns fuck out you. the greatest antagonist of this entire story was the demon of lewdness <laughs> 
yeah. Fuck you, demon of lewdness. Do not possess me, you bitch. Valak's like, uh, like pinching his nipples right now. His like twenty, his sixty-nine nipples right now. Ew, that's a lot of nipples. Well, does a demon? Would you expect a demon to have a normal amount of nipples? No, I feel like no, a ma'am. Demon would have sixty-nine. It's an odd number. It's weird. Correct. It makes you uncomfortable. Very... Sixty-nine. There's a lot of them, so like you know you're uncomfortable, but it's it's too yeah. it's too many to count that quick. Yeah, but you know in your head it looks like sixty-nine, <laughs> so you're like, holy shit, sixty-nine nipples. You're like, holy shit, that is motherfucking sixty-nine nipples. I'm. <laughs> Like, if I know one thing for sure, it's that fucking 69 nipples. <laughs> you're being, like, eternally tortured in hell, and you're like, that's motherfucking 69 nipples. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, have it. You, like, count out his nipples. I was right. It's 69 nipples. <laughs> let's, let's, let's okay. get into my... Let's get into your... This, this is a fun one. Okay. This actually isn't just a fun one. It's a fun three, everybody. Ooh, it's a threesome. This is, this is part one of three. Yes. Y'all. You know, I, I try to save some of the the most, like, infamous serial killers and, like, true crime cases. Um, I, I don't like to do them, like, all at once. I try to do, like, one big one every, like, two months or so. Because like we you know we all know a lot of like general facts about oh hi s'mores don't Aww, do not do don't do that she's about to jump on my computer but anyways um we're doing cults month so what better way to end cults than talk about probably the most infamous cult in uh, American history the Manson yes. family ooh so today everybody i am talking about charles manson yeah um part one is going to focus on specifically charles manson and his entire early life his upbringing and um, then we're going to end like right at the introduction of the manson family Mm. Um, next week we're going to talk about the manson family and the infamous murders which you all have definitely heard about by now i'll go through them next week um, after that is going to be a quick break because that's actually episode 65 and that's a combo episode for both me and Corey. So we're going to put a pin oh. in the Manson family. But the week after that will be the final part three of the Manson family. Yes. And that's going to be that's going to go over the trial and then post trial for the Manson clan. So that being said, let's talk about cults. <laughs> We're both like three beats off. Oh my god, just yeah, just take off my clothes. They're already off. I love this music video. It's really it's done super well. I love yeah, it. it's because it's of Jonestown. Mm-hmm. It's because they like impose themselves into fucking Jonestown. But yeah, they do footage. it. They do it really like seamlessly. It's awesome. Yeah, so you don't even rec- <laughs> like you don't even realize that there. That's not a video. Yeah, them I would say until Jonestown. you see like the really bassist well guy, the guy in the white shirt who like obviously looks like a bassist. Like if he's not a bass player, like he's a fucking bass player. <laughs> <laughs> he's like the third one that shows up, and you're like, oh wait, what? Like these aren't real people. Yeah. It- it's a good one. 
All right, so let's talk about Charles motherfucking Manson, y'all. So Charles Manson, Charlie, I'll call him Charlie a lot. Because that's what they called them in the one million documentaries I've watched so far. <laughs> oh, yeah. Side note. I'm about 13, 12 to 13 hours deep in research. Yes. I'm only in part one. So I'll probably have, like, at least 20 hours of research under my belt from the Manson family. So, yay. Super researching this for y'all. I'm having so much fun. Okay. Charles Manson, he was born on November 12th, 1934, which seems like a billion years ago because it was a billion years ago. Um, he was born to 16-year-old Kathleen Maddox in Cincinnati, Ohio. His mom was shockingly not ready to be a mother. She was <laughs> 16 years old. Um, Damn. So much so that she did not even give him a name for his first few weeks of being alive. In fact, his birth certificate literally says no name under the first name section and then the last name Maddox because that was her last name. So he didn't even have a name for a bit. His, bio his biological father is supposedly a dude named Colonel Walker Henderson Scott Sr. Um, Colonel lied to Kathleen and pretended to be in the army. So when she told him that he was pregnant, he was like, oh, wow, I have to go do army stuff right now across seas. And then left <laughs> and never came back. Oof. Uh, side note, three years after Charles was born, um, Kathleen ended up actually filing a paternity like lawsuit against Colonel. Um, and she won. And she ended up getting $25 and then $5 a month. This is back in 1937. So that's actually equivalent to about $90 a month. Okay. For, which isn't that great, but it's no. fine. Anyways, going back to, you know, Charlie being born. Um, so Manson never met his father, obviously. Um, not too long after he was born, Kathleen moved into this old dude's house. This, like, creepy old dude to be dating a 16-year-old. Uh, his name was William Manson. Um, and William convinced her to marry him. I mean, she didn't really have much else going for her. So, yeah, yeah she married him. Um, and that's how Charlie Manson got his, Charles Manson got his name. Charlie's mom was not fit to be a mother. Um, she was a prostitute, a raging alcoholic. She would often disappear for days and days and days at a time. She would just leave Charlie either by himself or with the babysitter or with William. Like, regardless of who he was with, she would just go off, party, you know, prostitute herself, go live the life of a, you know, of a wild 16-year-old in the 30s. Um, in 1937, William and Kathleen got divorced. Um, shortly after, that's when she filed a paternity lawsuit against Charlie's biological father. Hi, s'mores. Oh, s'mores. After, after her divorce, Kathleen would spend pretty much all of her time with her super shitty brother. His name was Luther. Um, and the two of them would drink and party and rob people and just do, like, you know, shitty crappy stuff. things. Shitty stuff. Now, to show you, in case you haven't realize this yet to show you just how shitty of a mother kathleen was um at one point she brought baby charlie um to this bar she was kicking it at and it's like this bar slash restaurant and the waitress walks up to her and she's like you have the cutest little son like i love your little boy and kathleen was like i'll trade you <gasps> him for like a pitcher of beer and the waitress like thinking it was a joke brought back a pitcher of beer like haha now give me your baby 
And Kathleen did. <laughs> she like got the pitcher of beer. Oh my god! Left baby Charlie at the table and like rolled out. So the waitress was like, "Okay, I guess I'm a mom now." <laughs> and like took baby Charlie, started taking care of him for a few days. Um, like then Luther rolled up a few days later. You know, Luther's oh. Kathleen's brother, and he found Charlie and brought him back home. Oh my so god! On, then on, yeah. So she's like not the greatest mom. Then on August 1st, 1939, um, Kathleen and Luther's girlfriend, Julie, they were hanging out with some rich dude named Frank Martin. Your hey, it's, it's me. Martin. It's my uncle. <laughs> it's, it's the, it's it's the uncle, uncle to my counterpart. <laughs> yeah. It's George's uncle, Frank. Um, George's <laughs> uncle, Frank, decided. <laughs> so julie and kathleen got george's uncle frank i can only i can only assume george's uncle frank is even more misogynistic and horrible (laughs) than george martin is 100 percent. that's that's the case this is 1939 surprise what else was there it's a fucking prize (laughs) so george's uncle frank Got super drunk with Julie and Kathleen. Um, Julie and Kathleen ended up robbing him. Um, they started panicking, panicking a little bit, so they called up Luther and they're like, "Yo, we're robbing this guy. Come help us." <laughs> Luther showed up. He like pulled out a gun, and together, like the three of them, committed armed robbery. They stole some of his shit and ran off. Oh. Now, like these three people weren't really good criminals, so it was. Like, far too easy for the police to find them, and they were arrested within a matter of hours. Uh, Luther was sentenced to 10 years in prison, and Kathleen got five. So Manson, little Charlie, baby Charlie, who was only, like, you know, five years old at this point, um, he was sent to live with his super psycho Christian aunt and his sadistic-as-fuck uncle in West Virginia. So he was five. Mom went to jail, moved to West Virginia, uh, moved with his, moved into his super psycho Christian aunt, his sadistic as fuck uncle. Um, now, Manson, you know, he was a really sensitive boy. Um, he cried a lot. He, like, loved music. Remember, this is 19, like, 37, 39, 1940. Um, you know, he cried a lot, loved music. He deeply missed his mother. His uncle, who fucking sucks, he told Manson that if he wanted to act like a crybaby and a sissy, they would treat him like one and dress him up like one. So they actually dressed up little Charlie as a little girl and sent him off to school. So his very first day in public school, like kindergarten, he was dressed up as a little girl. This is 1939. Like, that shit didn't fly. So little baby Charlie Manson was just ridiculed relentlessly at school, bullied, like, violently at school because his uncle would make him, force him to dress up like a little girl. What an asshole. Because he was a crybaby and a sissy. Uh, uh, yeah. Charles, Charlie Manson has a very, very sad backstory. How I explain it to Jordan is, like, any person, if they grew up in the situations that Charles went through, like, no one would ever end up being normal. <laughs> like, it's impossible yeah, yeah. for someone to end up being a normal Like, violence being. isn't the answer, but, like, they would still never be normal. Like, they would never, ever be capable of having a normal human life yeah. based off of his entire childhood. And we're not e- – he's only four years old at this point, five years old. 
So, like, he's only five, and he's already going through all of this. Damn. Anyways, um, four years of sadistic hell went by with his shitty uncle and super Christian aunt. Um, during those four years, you know, he not only was dressed like a girl to go to school, um, he was forced to go to church every single Sunday, which he hated. But that's when he discovered his love for singing, which is very important. Charlie loved his music. Um, so four years went by. His mom got out of jail. Um, Charlie described this day as just the greatest and happiest day of his life. He could finally be with his mom again. He just loved her so much. Like he, She was just a true angel in his eyes. Um, so Charlie and his mom, they moved from place to place all around the country, spending the next few years of his childhood just committing nonviolent crimes um, together. Little, you know, Bonnie and Clyde duo, mother and son, cute robberies. Um, he didn't know any better. Like, this is what he was taught to do. This is his childhood. Like, when we were playing with Legos and Barbies, like, he was pickpocketing. Like, that's what he was Damn. doing. He was helping her steal cars. He spent time with her in bars. He watched her bring home men for money, etc. Like, he was pretty much, like, the time, this child, this, this time of a child's life is when they're learning all these basic skills to be a human being. Instead of him learning all these basic skills that we all grew up learning, he was learning how and developing his criminal skills, how to lie, how to manipulate, how to pit pocket, how to steal, how to get out of scary situations, how to see a scary situation, how to avoid cops. Like, while we were learning how to read, like, this is what he was doing. Damn, I was fucking playing the fucking Nemo PS2 video game, screaming my, or PS1 video game, screaming my head off. Fuck that game. Fuck that fucking <laughs> and, game. <laughs> is it PS2? Was, was it the PS2? Yeah, it was the right. PS2. Okay, I yeah. have it. I have it here at my yeah, house. Fuck like that I, fucking I'm so game. angry at that game. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. If you fuck remember anything game. from this three-part series of Chana talking it, about... <laughs> fuck Finding Nemo PS2. <laughs> <laughs> so while we were... As I was, like, aggressively biting my PS2 controller because <laughs> I was so angry at Finding Nemo, Charlie Manson was pitpocketing, stealing cars, and helping his mom be a prostitute. Jesus. So that, and, yeah. He was doomed from the start. Now, at nine years old, at nine, just for one second, think of you at nine years old and what you were mentally capable of doing. He ended up um, lighting his school on fire. Oh my! He stole a bunch of shit. Um, he was going to be put. He was caught. Obviously, uh, he was nine. Uh, so they were like the state was going to put him in a foster home, um, but no one wanted him. So they just sent him back to his mom. He was nine. Kids will be kids. A few years later, he was twelve, and Kathleen, his mom, was like, "You know what? I'm sick of Charlie." So she went to the court and she was like, "I don't want to. I don't want him anymore. Oh my! Like, take him. Oh take my full God. custody of Charlie." So little Charlie, who like loved his mom more than life itself, where like you know she repeatedly has failed him for the past twelve years, suddenly like the only person that he's ever cared for and had a family with said, "I don't want you anymore. You're going to the state." Oh, that so poor he was guy. Sent- oh yeah, this is like real sad. Uh, he was sent to the Catholic Reform School in Indiana. This reform school violently beat Charlie for the smallest infraction. Like, if he didn't say please. Like, if, if he said, can I go to the bathroom instead of may I go to the bathroom, he would be beaten violently. Like, shit like that. And, you know, it's Catholic priest, so you can only assume what else probably happened there. <laughs> um, I'm he scared. Es- 
he and it, it just the abandonment issues get worse he escaped from the reform school and he ran back to his mom and his mom looked at him and she said i don't want you anymore go back to the reform school Ooh. so he went back and he hated it and he is eventually he escaped and found his way to indianapolis this was in 1948 he was only 14 years old um, this is when Manson committed his first official crime by robbing a grocery store. He robbed it because he didn't have enough money to eat, didn't have any skills to get a job. And his entire childhood, he was taught to rob to get things, so he robbed a grocery store. Shortly after that, he found a cigar box in the street that contained $100. That is about equivalent to $1,000 today. Just to let you know. Wow. Um, he, he used that money to get an apartment. He was 14 years old. Let me remind you. He bought some food and he stole a car. So he was doing better than most millennials are doing right now. <laughs> um, he tried to live a decent life for a bit. But all he knew how to do was steal. Was just rob. And so he just went back to robbing. He didn't have any other skill except being a criminal. Um, in 1949, he was caught stealing some shit. Um, he was sent to Boys Town, which is a juvenile facility in Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> I was like, sounds after, interesting. <laughs> after four days. I want to um, go to he, Boys Town. <laughs> you don't want to go to these schools. Let's get it right now. Um, after four days, he and a student named Blackie Nielsen got some wire cutters, escaped, and they led... 35 other juvenile like delinquents out of there oh hell yeah that's um, fun blackie and manson they stole a car and a gun and they left town together they robbed a grocery store and a casino before finally meeting up with blackie's uncle who was a professional thief um the uncle was like yeah i'll take you guys under my wing and teach you everything i know well like that uncle who is a professional thief like sucked at at thieving he was not a good thief <laughs> and like he was a professional were... thief but he was a fucking horrible professional thief but he was not a good professional thief because <laughs> they were caught two weeks later and arrested oh um manson was eventually actually linked to two armed robberies during Ooh. that time remember he's like a kid he's like 14 15 years old right oh my now. god manson was sent to the indiana boys school which was hell on earth whenever we hear like reform school or things like that like you already know it's going to be really bad but like this one in particular was so bad that every prison that charlie was in afterwards seemed like a five-star resort like it seemed like yeah. a vacation compared to this reform school um charlie was violently violently abused for three years Oh. Um, when he first rolled up to the reform school, he already had a reputation. He's a little guy. Like, in case you didn't know that, like, this is a common fact, but some people might not know it. Um, Charlie was only, like, 5'3", like, max. Like, that's his max height. He's a little guy. Um, so this little, like, 5'3 guy, like, 14-year-old kid, like, he's already kind of notorious for robbing places, escaping out of all these schools, like, being kind of a wild kid. So he came to the school, and all of these older kids were not having it. Like, there was no way this little kid was going to be tougher and cooler than us. So they, like, beat the shit out of him and abused oh. abused him in every way you can possibly be abused while the guards just simply looked the other way. And not only did they look the other way, 
oftentimes they encouraged them Shit. abusing Charlie. Um, for example. Yeah, it's like an internal a, way to control. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, these guards are, like, the most, like, pedophile, like pedophilic, sadistic, Ugh. nasty motherfuckers Ugh. you can imagine. Um, for example, like, there was a dairy at the school that all the kids worked at to try to, like, learn some form of a life skill. Yeah, some skill, yeah. Uh, Manson was working there when – hold on. You went away. I like seeing your face. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Uh, Manson was working there when some of the other <laughs> boys walked over to him. They looked at the guard. The guard walked away. Uh. They pinned Manson to the floor. They put the spit from their tobacco chew up Charlie's ass, and they said, now you're all lubed up, lubed up so we're going to fuck you while we have the chance. And then Charlie was violently raped by multiple oh shit after they were done raping charlie the guard came back walked up to the group and said you know you aren't allowed to wrestle in here looked at charlie told him to clean himself up and stop crying and act like a man damn charlie um like like again we react this way because like we know this didn't just happen to people like charles manson but this happened to a good amount of people who turned out to be good people (laughs) and not just him but yeah that's horrible well it gets worse this is not like like (laughs) you're like we're at a six (laughs) charlie's only 14 years old and we're at a six we need to get to an 11 (laughs) yeah we have a good like 16 17 years left until the manson family is even created so we have some time damn to talk about what else he experienced um, Charlie, you know, he got his revenge because a few days later he ended up beating one of those boys that raped him with the crowbar. Fuck and yeah. He somehow made it look like one of the other rapists beat the guy. Oh, yeah. So, like, hell those yeah. two people ended up getting in trouble. So Charlie was like, yeah, fuck you. Um, he escaped that school 18 times over the course of four oh, years. Oh, my God. That he was caught and sent back every single time. Um, he developed a self-defense technique he later called the insane game. So whenever people started beating him or trying to rape him um, and he was physically unable to defend himself, he would start screaming at the top of his ha- on top of his lungs and just contorting his face to make these like insane, crazy faces and wave his arms around, kind of like what you imagine people look like when they're possessed. Yeah. Um, to just convince his like aggressors that he was insane and they would get like freaked out, like what the fuck's going on? And oh, walk away and just like alone. weird, weird your aggressor out enough. Yeah, yeah. totally. And he called it like to disarm them. Game. And that's when he started like realizing like, oh, if I kind of play up this like crazy role, like people will respect me a little bit. And so he started, like, building up this whole image of, oh, it's, like, it's Charlie. It's Charles Manson. Like, Whoa. It's kind of the crazy one. Finally, in 1951, he was 17 years old. He successfully escaped this hellhole with two other boys. Um, the three of them, they stole a car, multiple cars, with the intent to drive to California. They made it all the way to Utah. What's up? Before What's getting up? Before arrested again. Now, driving a stolen car across state lines is a federal crime. Um, so Manson was sent to Washington, D.C.'s National Training School for Boys. Um, on arrival, he was given an aptitude test, multiple aptitude tests. Um, he was illiterate, but his IQ was 109. Just to keep in mind, the average at the time was just 100, so he was above 
Nice. Like his IQ was above average. Um, on a psychiatrist's recommendation, he was transferred in October of 51 to the Natural Bridge Honor Camp, which was like a minimum security institution. It's like kind of like a low-grade jail. So he went from like reform school to low-grade jail. At this jail, he was about to get parole, and then he ended up raping a boy at knife point. Later, he actually claimed wow. that this boy was a quote-unquote closeted queer, um, and that okay. the, this boy asked Mansum to have sex with him, and he said, like, if we get caught, I need you to pretend that you're raping me so what? people don't know that I'm actually gay. And so Manson was like, okay, they had sex, got caught, and that's when – like Manson pulled up the knife and he's like, I'm raping this kid to supposedly like protect this quit. But this account is all on Manson saying what happened. Yeah. Like Manson said this in that's interesting. In my own words, Um, just point like if you ever, ever listen to Charles Charlie talk in his interviews, he's like wild. (laughs) Like half the shit he says, I'm like, what? Oh, I've never listened to him. Yeah. So I don't really know if like that's true. Cause he, he has a lot of, he loves talking. He loves yeah. ranting. He loves, like, you know, hearing himself speak. So I don't know if that's actually true or not. But regardless, like, he, like, on paper, raped a boy at knife point. Okay, therefore, yeah, from his, his words. Was, yeah, so therefore, like, his parole was uh, denied. So because he raped a boy at knife point, he was transferred to the Federal Reformatory in Petersburg, Virginia. Um, there he committed a further, in quotes, Eight serious disciplinary offensive, three involving homosexual acts. Because of those uh, no homo acts, he was then moved to a maximum security reformatory. What the fuck? Um, in some place in Ohio, I can't pronounce Chili Cove or something, which I know <laughs> is not real because it's Ohio. Cola. <laughs> oh, I think of the Savage it's Garden like, where it's like Cola. <laughs> it's Cheddar Cheese, Ohio. Uh, cheddar Cheddar Cheese, there. Ohio. <laughs> Yeah. How appropriate. Like, like, <laughs> fucking Ohio. What else is in Ohio? Cheddar cheese. With cheddar cheese. So he was in Cheddar Cheese, Ohio, in this ma- now maximum security reformatory where he was actually expected to stay until the release. Wait, and he was sent there birthday. because of having sex with dudes. Yes. Eight okay. serious offenses. Three of those are fucking dudes. Okay. This is the 1950s. Okay. Online. This is, yeah. So, like. You know, homosexuality did not fly back then. Guess so, not. Like anyone thought you were Surprise. gay. Like, oh, guess what? Like, we're gonna. You're make a you criminal. Maximum security. Yeah, it's it's not. It was not a good time no. for anybody. So he was expected to stay at this prison until his 21st birthday, which would have been November of 1955. Wow. Um, but he ended up actually getting out early in May of 1954. He was only 19 because of good behavior. Okay. Uh, now, before, let me just take a little pause real quick, just to make you understand, like, where we are at. In a few years, like, he went from a reform school to a maximum security prison, and he wasn't even 21 years old yet. Wow. He got out when he was 19 from a maximum security prison. Wow. Um, when he got out, he went to go live with his super psycho Christian aunt and his sadistic uncle again in West Virginia. Damn. his mom still didn't want him. He still had – his mom abandoned him. <laughs> that's, like, that's like a huge – aspect like a huge factor in charles manson's life is that he was abandoned by his yeah if i yeah if 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 the average person didn't have a father and their mom didn't want them 
I'd probably fuck you up a shit ton. Yeah, and now at this point you spent almost like <laughs> the majority of your life in jail. Yeah. So being 19 and spending, you know, almost his entire life at this point in reform schools or jails, you know, he was set up for failure. He had zero skills to, you know, even handle the normal life. He was struggling, to say the least. Um, Around this time, this is when he met Rosalie Jean Willis. She was only 15. Charles Manson was 19. Not a big age difference. Um, They started dating. They slept together. She was actually the first woman he's ever slept with. Um, they fell deeply in love, and they got married in January of 1955. That's um, later cute. Later that year, she, she ended up getting pregnant. Um, Charlie, he wanted to live like an honest and really good life for his wife and unborn child. He was pretty determined to be like, you know what? Like, I want this life I've never had. Like, I want this family I've never had. Like, I want the American dream. Like, I'm going to do everything I can. And he tried so fucking hard but he had zero skills like he couldn't do anything no one would hire him no opportunities were there like the only opportunities that were there were criminal activities like yeah. that's just what it was so he made the choice he's like you know what like i need money i need to be able to support my new family like i'm gonna have to go on the bad route like i'm gonna have to be a yeah, criminal. i no, really good, have no other yeah, choice good social commentary there um, so he met up with some local mobsters. He was offered 500 bucks to take a stolen car to Florida, um, which is crossing state lines, which is a federal offense. Um, he successfully drove the car to Florida, but when he rolled up there, they're like, you know what? We're only going to give you 100. <sighs> so he was like, fuck you. So he stole the car, drove it again past or across state lines, and just dropped it off somewhere in West Virginia. Um, West knowing Virginia. the mobsters. <laughs> knowing the mobsters were gonna co- this is how i was all day i was like west virginia, virginia. Ma, ma, ma. Mama. <laughs> <laughs> knowing the mobsters were gonna come after him manson grabbed his wife and he was like we're we're still in this car fuck. we're going to california we're going to california we have to get the yeah fuck uh-huh. away from west virginia it wasn't long until manson was arrested for car theft across state lines and he was sentenced to three years in prison in california during mm. his first year there, Rosalie gave birth to their son, Charles Manson Jr. Um, Charles was determined to get out of jail and live, like, a really good life, you know, for his wife and his son. Like, he needed her. He needed her support. He begged her, like, stay with me. I promise you I will give you the world. Like, I am so in love with you. I'm so in love with our son. Like, this is my family. This is my life. I fucked up, but I will make it fucking work. I just, I love you. And for the first little bit, she visited him regularly. They were a happy little family going through, you know, these hardships. Mm -hmm. But slowly over time, she stopped showing up. And then eventually she sent him divorce papers and he found out that she actually left him for a trucker. So again, like Charlie was abandoned in life first by his mother and now by the love of his life, like his wife and his son. Like he was no family everything like there was no purpose or worth to his life anymore. yeah so he pretty much said fuck it and he was like you know what like i'm just gonna turn the rest of my prison time into like a learning experience because i don't have anybody that loves me i don't have a family when i get out of here i have no choice but to be a criminal so fuck it i'm gonna do it right <gasps> shit so he talked to all these criminals in jail specifically pimps about 
you know, how to become like the boss ass bitch of the criminal world, specifically with pimping. So we talked to this one like pimp ass, this one pimp. And he was like, yo, to be a successful pimp, you have to get in the girl's head. You have to make her love you more than anyone else in the whole world. You have to tell her that you love her more than anyone else in the whole world. Make her believe it. Feel it. Like, love her. You have to call her beautiful. Have to help her make completely, like, make her feel secure. Banish any insecurity she's ever had about herself. Make her want to do anything for you and your love, which sometimes might end up, you know, being selling her body for sex. But, like, you know what? We love each other so much. It's okay. What like, the I, fuck? I love you more than I myself. I value you so much. You're so beautiful. You're everything I wanted. Our love is strong enough where we have to do sacrifices for each other. And the whole thing is, like, if you have enough of a hold on this girl, she won't see anything wrong with it. Oh, my Basically, God. Like, <laughs> the pimp Gay men should be pimps. Gay men should be the only pimps. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I'm like, so the sad. <laughs> is to make the girl because we would do that we would do that for every prostitute but we would be real (laughs) (laughs) fuck (laughs) so the whole like pimp philosophy that charlie was was taught is to make the girl want to do it for you because you guys are so deeply in love because she would do anything for you oh my god you made her have worth so 1958 charlie was 20 you know 23 24 at this time he was paroled for five years and immediately um, met a 16-year-old girl. Um, they quickly started dating, became like exclusive. Her name was Leona Stevens. She went by Candy, and he started pimping her out. Um, the two fell in love. She ended up getting married with him. She gave birth to his second child, Charles Luther Manson. Keep in mind, at this point, he no longer had any contact with his first wife and firstborn. Um, he never had contact with them through the rest of his life. So Damn. Charlie Manson Jr., Good luck to you. Um, Now, in September of 1959, Charlie tried to cash a forged U.S. Treasury check. It was only, like, 40 bucks. He was arrested. The judge basically told Mansum, like, look, I could give you a jail sentence for 10 years for doing this. But you've had, like, a really fucked up life. Yeah. And your wife here, Candy, like, she just got up on, you know, stage and talked about how much she loved you and how much of a great man you are. So I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to give you your freedom. But if you fuck up in any way at all, you're going away for 10 years. Like You have to understand that. Whoa. But I'm going to give you a chance because no one else has ever given you a chance. Society has turned against you. The world has turned against you. I will give you this chance. So no surprise, though, like Manson fucked up because, like, what else is he going to do? He does not have anything else to possibly be a normal human being. Um, he fucked up because he was moving prostitutes across state lines. One of his prostitutes got arrested. Manson freaked out, and he escaped and ran off to Mexico. In Mexico, he trained as a matador, but he was told he couldn't because he was too little. What the fuck? (laughs) It gets better. Are we watching a movie Um, right now? (laughs) Oh, yes, Corey. This is a really fun one. And then he ended up eating, like, a fuckload of mushrooms with the Yaqui Native Americans. (laughs) So, like, here's a fun little story for you guys. The Yaqui Native Americans rightfully hate white people as, like, all Native Americans should. Totally deserved. So, (laughs) when Mason was asking around for shrooms in, like, Mexico City, like, all the locals told him, like, the only place you can really get shrooms or, like, peyote, LSD, the good stuff, Uh is with members of the the Yaqui tribe. But uh, 
sorry, Charlie, like, they fucking hate white people. And, like, they kill white people. So, like, don't even go up to them. It's not worth it. But Manson was like, I'm not a regular white person. I'm, like, a cool white person. Oof. So he stole a gun from the, quote-unquote, mamacita he was staying with. And uh, he marched his ass over to the Yaqui tribe. Now, I'm going to read just a little excerpt from Manson's book, which is called Manson in his own words. Uh, trigger warning, like, I, I will say the the word Indian instead of Native American, but that's because I'm reading, like, straight from Manson's own words because uh, Manson was not a PC person. Uh, but Surprise. But I'm going to warn you about that now. I was talking to a couple of thugs trying to score some mushrooms. No, no, got. Only Yaqui Indian got mushroom. They kill gringo. You loco to go to Yaqui village. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm got so it. white. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Uh, I didn't believe my life would be in danger if I just showed up at their village. So I hiked out to one of them. Um, seeing the way they lived was like watching Geronimo flick or watching a Geronimo flick um, with some jailhouse Spanish Spanish and the kind of hand signals I'd seen the scouts use in the movies. I walked into the Yaqui camp like I belonged there. The Indians looked at me like I was from another planet before I got too close to any of the huts. Four bad looking dudes stopped me asking why you come. What want you lost? No, I'm not lost. I told him, I want to meet Yaki, be Yaki's friend, smoke pipe with Yaki, maybe get some mushroom from Indian friend. Why we smoke pipe with little gringo, they asked. We know you, we know, know you, you go now. As they spoke, they turned me around and pointed towards the way I'd come. Wait a minute, I said. I got pesos. I buy mushrooms. I give you gift. I took a ring off my finger and handed it to the guy who was doing most of the talking. He looked at the ring and handed it back to me, saying, Mushroom spiritual, only for Yaki. Mm. Intending to trade the, my magnum, the gun that he stole from his mamacita, for mushrooms, I pulled the gun from my pants, pointing it at the guy who's talking, and I said, This by mushroom? The four of them backed up a step as though they expected me to pull the trigger. Okay, one said, You know, shoot, we give mushroom. The gun looked threatening, but that wasn't the way I meant it to be. So I handed the gun to the one guy who said he'd give me some mushrooms. As soon as the guy, the gun was in his hands, he pointed at me and said, you loco now, I kill you. And he struck the gun on my stomach, and I just smiled at him. And he shoved the gun harder into my stomach and pulled the trigger. When he snapped, there wasn't any shells in it. The four of them just started laughing and said, gringo not loco, he brave man, be yaki friend. I spent the night in their village, and a whole group of us did mushrooms. And as their brother, I was invited back any time I wanted to join them. What when the fuck? My, my that sounds made up. City, that shit sounds made up. I know. Uh, totally. When I returned to my hoodlum friends in the city with a pouch full of mushrooms, they opened their eyes a little wider and started telling everybody what a macho gringo I was. No, fuck, fuck Manson. That shit's made up. Manson was like He's a 5'3 little guy. He's just an right? asshole. Like this. Like, that was a totally, like, made-up story of him being like, look how cool I am. I'm so Yeah, yeah, that's 100% made up. Right. So shortly after that, in the 60, or 1960, the FBI heard about Manson in Mexico City. So they worked with Mexican authorities, and they ended up actually arresting Manson and brought him back to California, um, where he was sentenced for, you know, the prostitution across state lines. Um, that treasury check that he tried to forge forever ago, and the judge was like, you'll be you know, you have mercy unless you fuck up again. You know, there's a lot of shit waiting for him back in California. Um, he was sentenced for 10 years in prison, but he ended up only serving seven. 
In those seven years, uh, Manson took guitar lessons from Barker Karpis, who is a gang leader convicted of 14 murders. Uh, his name is Alvin Creepy Karpis. Uh, Manson. <laughs> Wait, what? Creepy Karpis? <laughs> yeah, his nickname was Creepy Karpis. We've he said that before on this car- on this podcast. Do you remember? No. His creepy carpus. <laughs> we have said that before when you, in it one was, of your it, in one of your uh, sections. It was probably like the Al Capote. Yeah, Al Capone. I don't know, but I remember saying creepy carpus. You know what's weird is I read that earlier and I thought it was familiar, but I'm yeah, like, I don't know. It's, it's familiar like, because you, we've you said it. <laughs> Cute. Okay, well, shout out to that episode. Yeah, shout out Crossover. to whatever the fuck that is. <laughs> So in those seven years, Manson performed a crossover TV episode and learned guitar from this dude that I apparently talked about in the past. Fuck yeah. This is when, and you know, we already talked about how Manson was really good at singing. He loved singing. But this point in his life is when he really fell in love with music. Interesting. This is when he was like, you know what? He's like, I'm going to pursue my love of music in jail. Like, he learned guitar, he already could sing, he could already write songs, and he just fell in love with it, and he found his dream. He wanted to be a rock star. So, very important note about this. John Douglas, he wrote Mindhunter. Um, yes, the show is based off of a real person slash book. Lol, yes. if you didn't already know that. Um, he is a super famous FBI agent because he essentially created the FBI's criminal profile system. And he interviewed some of the most notorious violent criminals in modern American history. He interviewed people from Son of Sam, Ted Bundy, Ed Kemper, Charles Manson. You name another it, club, another convic- club. Yeah, like if if you name almost any like modern day American violent criminal, uh, John Douglas interviewed them. So he spoke to Manson a bunch. Uh, he pretty much believed, and he talks about how uh, Manson's dream of becoming a rock star was like the true motive for Manson creating the Manson family and eventually organized the infamous murders. Yes. So him being a rock star was like a main motive in his whole life. Like the actions that he's done was because he was trying to fulfill the only dream he's ever had, which is to be a rock star. It's the only dream he's ever had that didn't involve something criminal until later. Then it definitely involved things that are criminal. So a lot of people went in and out of prison. Uh, Manson was hoping that one of these people had a connection to someone in L.A. that can give them a record deal. Someone actually did have a connection in L.A. and, get, and, and uh, gave Manson, like, the contact info for someone at Universal Studios. Lol. So, you know, jail's a great time to network. Oh, yeah. Now, whenever, whenever Manson wasn't working on his rock star career, he was studying Islam, hypnotism, philosophy, psychology, and specifically Scientology. Oof. By 1967, Charles Manson had spent more than half of his life in prison, and he was only, you know, 32, 33 oh, years old. Oh, that's so horrible. More than half of his life in prison. Half. So just, like, right now, Corey, think back on your entire life, and just for, just for <laughs> one second, think of half of that being taken away. I would die in prison. <laughs> you know this. The thing was, like, Especially if it was cold, you would die. But the thing was, every literal suicide. (laughs) Prison was home for him. Like he was comfortable there. He know how it worked. Like he got fed every meal. He got to play his guitar with his friends, and he honestly loved it because he didn't know anything better. 
he was up for parole in 1967 and he actually begged his parole officer in the jail <gasps> to let him stay in jail. He this is where it's oh. really sad. Um he told them that he knew he could never be a normal mem- member of society because all he knows is crime. Like he he just knew he's like I will just be here again. Just please let me stay. Like just please. Like he begged, like groveled, like begged them do not throw me out in the streets. Like I should be in here. Like we know I should be in here. Like in fact, wow. like a psychological exam even said that Manson was incapable of changing or creating a different path. Like still though, disregarding completely Manson's plea to stay in jail or he's going to continue being a criminal and disregarding the psychologist that was like, yo, keep him in jail. They were like, we're going to set him free. And honestly, it's probably because of money, <laughs> because like it's yeah. the taxpayers money keeping him in jail. His time is up. They're going to send him out. But it's crazy because if they actually like Charles Manson knew that he was not ever going to be able to be normal, like he knew his life was going to end up being crazy and just filled with crimes. Yeah. If, like they just listened to him and kept him in jail. None of these next two parts of this episode would have ever <laughs> happened. He was, like, woke enough to know, I'm going to fuck up so hard, keep me in jail. And they didn't. They just threw him out in the street. They gave him 30 bucks, old clothes, and they said, good luck. Damn. So Manson, at this point, you know, he went into jail in 1960. He got out in 1967. He missed the entire rise of the hippie movement. And suddenly, he just found himself right in the middle summer of love 1967 he was overwhelmed at how much the world had changed from you know the 50s to 1967 he hitchhiked directly from jail with a trucker who smoked so much weed openly on the road and this is when charles manson learned about hippies and learned about the flower children in san francisco so manson made his way to san francisco with a few dollars in his pocket and his guitar on his back he got to San Francisco and just immediately clicked with the flower kids. He played his guitar on the streets. He sang to anyone who would listen. He went to music auditions. He was rejected because they said it sounds like you're from the 50s because he was. Uh, but that didn't stop him. He decided to play in bars, on the streets, cafes, like anywhere. Like he was really pursuing his rock star career. Now, whenever he played in bars and cafes, he would always like leave out a hat for tips. If he wasn't making much money that night, he would at the end of his set be like, "Everyone has something to tell you. I just, me and two of my buddies just got out of prison and we're trying to make like an honest buck. So I told my buddies like, let me just try to play music, and if people pay us, like we're good. We don't have to do anything bad. But my buddy said like, if people don't pay us, they're just gonna come in here and shoot up this bar." So what the fuck? Put money in my hat and a shoot like a shoot mass shooting won't happen. So like unsurprisingly, everybody gave him money and like he just kind of found a con. Like he was a con man. Like he found a way to make people give him money, do what he said. Now when he wasn't threatening people for money, he was shining shoes and like the beach boardwalks, all that good stuff. He tried LSD for the first time at a Grateful Dead concert yes. and fell in love with it, obviously, because acid's super fun. Um, he spent his days playing the guitar, singing for people, feeling the free love of the hippie movement, and people loved him. Like, hippies are nice as fuck to begin with. This is literally the summer of love. 
And, you know, here's this guy who had a hard life who's now putting everything into his, mu- his, into his music and the movement. So he was popular. Eventually, he made his way to Berkeley to continue playing his music. And this is where he met the very first Manson girl, 23-year-old Mary Bruner. Oh, shit. And that's where, that's where we're going to stop today. Oh, shit. So next week, we are going to talk about the Manson family, the oh, birth shit. of the Manson family, the rise of the Manson family, the murders of the Manson family. And there we go. But, uh, yeah, so there's the back some backstory for good old Charlie Manson, who was doomed Damn. from the beginning. Doomed from the start. So there we go. Anyways, Corey, how's your sex life? <laughs> um, sex life is currently still inactive. <laughs> yeah. As it's okay. The anime life. titties helped, which is which <laughs> attests <It's> to shocking. <laughs> which attests to how how celibate I have been. <laughs> yeah, someone fuck Corey immediately. Yeah. <laughs> Please. I don't care Chris, if you have titties. It's up to you to fuck Corey. Yeah, I don't care if you have titties <laughs> or if you don't have titties. <laughs> <laughs> Someone fuck Corey. It doesn't matter titties at this point. Titties. It doesn't matter at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Literally, um, I've just been watching a ton of movies. We, again, like we said at the beginning, which I'll probably keep in. Um, we watched. We've just been watching. I've watched a, a lot of Bond movies, and we watched all the Pierce Brosnan Brosnan films, and then Hot. um, the uh, I've been watching a lot of aquatic horror films. A lot of what? Aquatic a- Aquatic. Horror? Yeah, like as in water. So like anything oh, that's, that's like Jaws or Sphere like Jaws, yeah. or Leviathan. Per- um, Piranha 3D. Yeah, I literally – it's such a good – I love Piranha 3D. I watched it for the first time and I was like, holy shit, there's just boobs and gore all over the place. This is beautiful. So, I have a really fun story about Piranha 3D. Oh, my God. Please so, share. <laughs> I was – like I like Piranha 3D came out when I was like 13 or 14. Yeah, right? that meant like that a, a young. Like oh my a god! Young yeah, I'm um, I'm literally pulling it up as you as you ask. Yeah, I actually want to know because it doesn't matter how old I was. The fact is, Piranha like, 3D happened. came out in 2010, so it came okay, out when so you. Yeah, so we're 14. So uh, I was okay. 14 years old, and every summer growing up, I would for you know two to three weeks stay at my aunt my aunt and uncle's house. I talked about yes. it before, like. My Aunt Nancy is one of the greatest people I've ever met. I, uh-huh. I know. We always have the movie nights. It's super fun. So Piranha 3D came out, and Nancy's like, oh, my God. Like, the original Piranha is, like, fucking hilarious. Like, yeah, the 70s Canada version. Piranha. Yeah. Yeah. She, and, like, she always showed me, like, the really fun, shitty horror movies because that's, like, something she's really into because they're super fun for her. Um, so she was like, let's go see Piranha 3D. Like, not really thinking much about it. So, like, me, my aunt, my aunt and my uncle, like, little 13, 14-year-old Chana went to the movie theater, got yes. our popcorn, put on our 3D glasses, and then, like, within the first few minutes, like, a 3D penis gets, like, bitten off by uh-huh. Chana and gets, like, thrown at the screen, uh-huh. and I was, like, 13, sitting next to my aunt and uncle, and I was, like, do I laugh? <laughs> do I react? I was, like, what do I do? And Nancy was, like, it was so obvious. just that tension of watching anything mildly inappropriate that involves, like, genitals, their family member. But the yes. whole movie is just, like, chaos like that. So I was just sitting there in the movie theater, like, what do I do for, like, two hours? And in the end, Nancy was, like, so that was interesting. And I was, like, yeah. There so is, like, like, <laughs> like, something else. There's, like, a... It's like a, it's really uh, graphic. 
Yeah. Like there's a there's a ton of gore that I was like surprised at and like gasping at, but also like laughing at. But there's like really intense gore in that film. See, I blocked all that out except the penis because like it was in the first few minutes you see a penis and I was like, oh god. I was like, here we go. Like, this is going to be a penis movie with my aunt and my uncle. Yes. And I'm like 13. It was awesome, though. Yay. That's my <laughs> movie experience. I Can love it. It's aunt. a good film. It's like a very good, like, hey, we know what this is. We're just trying to give you naked women and gore. And they give you exactly yeah. that. And it's beautiful. And I love it. They're like, don't worry. Sharknado is coming out. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. They're like, don't fine. worry. Give it three years. Sharknado will come out or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it's a great, I love the film. It's a great film. Um, but yeah, that's all I've been watching. I've been watching literally Aquatic Horror, Deep Rising, Leviathan, um, Piranha 3D, and then all the Pierce Brosnan Bond films. That's been the past week of my life. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I started rewatching Parks and Rec because Ooh. I wanted a feel-good show. Oh, that's so, the uh, most perfect feel-good show. Yeah, it's been a fun one. I'm right, like, at the beginning of April and uh, Andy's Love, so it's super oh, cute and sweet. Oh, I love it. I actually really, that, like, y'all, I'm sure The Office is great, but I really just don't like it. I don't. You you, you, you I do don't. fall in love with the characters. You just have to, you skip the first two seasons of The Office, and then you just watch. I mean, I agree. Like, I love and Phyllis, on. and I love Kevin, and I love Jim, and I love Pam and Michael. See, I don't really care for Pam. I I love like yeah, Pam and Jim, Pam and Jim or whatever. But yeah. But you learn to like. There's there's always these like little moments in Jim and Dwight's relationship. Oh, Stanley. Stanley is my favorite uh, character. (laughs) And I love like Holly and Michael. I always like cry about. Oh, there's like there's a lot of good feel good. It's just like The Office really depends on you like knowing the characters and falling in love with them yeah yeah to like appreciate the like everything that's going on but parks and rec is just overall a constant feel-good show it's so easily feel good i don't know like i i've only watched the first four seasons of the office but then after that i was like uh whatever well i i you you should watch the office eventually because it's you know it's on everyone's list to watch you're a white that's, person that's so true i should probably it. know my culture yeah but more importantly, you're in quarantine, so you should watch Big Little Lies, Corey. It's about <gasps> time. Oh my it. god, I still need to watch that. That is yeah, definitely okay. on like my to watch list. Okay, do you remember how for like five years you're like channel watch Mad Men? I love it, and I finally yes. watched it. And I was like, you're right. You're like, oh my this god, this is how I feel about Big Little Lies. Like you're gonna watch Big Little Lies and be like, ah. You're like, like I haven't been watching. Holy this. fucking shit! I agree. It's so good. I would agree with that. It's very sad. It's so good though. It's very sad. It's a sad one. You're oh, never yeah. happy. I'm ready for drama. <laughs> but, like I got drama. Yeah, you're gonna get fucked in the ass with drama. Mm, yeah. Uh, but other than that, that's been my pretty much sex life. I've been on my period for the past week, so Jordan's sad because <laughs> we ain't fucking. Aww. But, Quarantine uh, and no sex. Welcome to welcome to my life, Jordan. <laughs> yeah. So Jordan's feeling you. He's like probably masturbating to ewan mcgregor right now mm, um, same but <laughs> it's cool period's ending soon which means jordan will be pumped on yes, life. yes 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 uh, yeah nothing oh big development actually today Ooh, what? simone and s'mores simone oh i saw yeah s'mores yeah simone cleaned s'mores y'all took a whole year but she finally licked s'mores oh. face i got it on video because i'm not doing anything else here so it was magical i cried 
we you cried you're crying right now it was great oh it was very cute yeah. it was very cute yeah that's pretty much my whole life right now is watching parks and rec and staring at my cats until they do cute things it's fun i love them uh, what are you watching parks and rec that's it other than just uh, that's finished. it we watched other stuff. I just don't remember what it is at this point. Oh, well, we already finished Twin Peaks because Jordan, I had Jordan. Oh, this is actually important. Tomorrow is the 30th anniversary of Twin Peaks. So Kyle MacLachlan is live tweeting and going on Instagram live to watch the pilot with all of us. And it's at, it's at 1230. Did he like it Mount or was Santa he Time. like, okay, whatever. That was weird. Jordan loved Twin Peaks. Oh, he good, 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 good. Peaks, which is good. Even when it gets crazy in like the later seasons. Yeah, he loved. Well, it's we like three seasons three long, right? Yeah, but season yeah. three happens twenty five years after season two ends. Jesus season Christ! Three's not, three, season three is that's the new ride. one, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's season three, but Jordan hasn't watched that yet. That's <laughs> I remember three. sitting in the living room and then like hearing and seeing the light flashes of you watching oh. it in your room, and I was like, "God damn, Chen is going through an experience." <laughs> Yeah, no, it wasn't a good experience. It was a bad experience. <laughs> Fuck season three of Twin Peaks. It was so David Lynch, it was infuriating. Oh. We just wanted some fan service. True, like, true. The only reason Twin Peaks season three happened is because fans wanted it, and he just did his own thing and ignored the fans completely. And it's annoying because it's like, yo, the only reason you're doing because this Because that's David like, Lynch. He's like, like fuck you. I do what I fucking want. Yeah. And that's the fucking problem. Is it? I loved it because it was him, but I'm so angry at the same time. But uh, yeah, we still have to watch the movie because he hasn't seen the movie yet, and he has not seen season three. But those are coming. But we finished like the the main two seasons, which are the important seasons, and we laughed, we cried, the whole Twin Peaks experience, masturbated, the whole thing. Good, good, good to hear. Um, yeah, that's like pretty much my same life. Sorry, someone's literally texting me about our podcast right now, so I'm minorly distracted to be TBH. That was really intense. Cute. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's my life. Well, so, anyways. How's you are? <laughs> I was like, did you break up? I was like, no. <laughs> I was just Sex. giving that Antissa. Everyone's like fucking end. Everyone's like deleting, blocking Dele- us somehow. Delete, delete, That one girl who was like, "I love everything about your podcast except for your fucking closer." Oh yeah. I'm I like, you, I'm girl. like, bitch. You shouldn't have said that. That makes me like it more. I know. It's so cringy. It's it is. It's so Anyways. cringy. I love this. Wait, how's your sex? Bye. <laughs> Bye, bitch. Bye. Bye, complain. Bye, specific bitch. <laughs> <laughs>